Introducing, right? Hello, uh, Baseball Life and everybody out there listening to the audio file. Welcome to the Total Bases Podcast. I am your host, Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for joining us once again for the Total Bases Podcast. And uh, joining me, as always, is Mr. Felipe Malicio. Felipe, how are you doing this this week? Doing better and better. A little bit improvement, um, little by little. Still recovering from COVID, but uh, I think yesterday uh, was the first day where I could breathe and it wasn't hurting as much. So, but you know, not not as uh, short of breath as before. But I'll be uh, well. I'll be leaning on you guys. That's why we summoned a third person into we, the mix. Dun dun dun. We did summon a third person, and if you have recognized that voice, yes, he has made his triumphant return back to the Total Bases Podcast. Sean Flannery is back. Sean, it is so good to see you after such a long hiatus. How are you, my friend? I am awesome. I'm glad to be back. I, I was up early, went, got breakfast, coffee, boom. Total Bases Podcast runs on Dunkin' Dunkin' Donuts. Please send this show money. <laughs> we, <laughs> then we can all get new cameras and microphones. Uh, but yeah, really happy to be back, especially since we're talking about Baseball Savant. You know, what's better than just pulling up Baseball Savant page and being like, ooh, that guy does that really well. But then you're like, oh, he strikes out a lot and he doesn't walk. And then you get a little less excited, but then you got to dig deep. And with the spreadsheet you guys have come up with, you guys really did dig deep and super impressive stuff. Can't wait to talk about it. Thanks a lot. So, yeah, uh, basically what we're going to be doing today is uh, we are going to be, since there really is nothing else to talk about, we can't talk about the future yet. We ain't going to be talking about uh, projections, but we're going to talk a little bit about fantasy implications with these players and look at a uh, spreadsheet or two about past numbers. So the last season, the 2021 numbers, we have a, as Sean said, a pretty deep spreadsheet of different uh, numbers. We have regular, you know, we have the normal basic numbers and then we have some of the um, deeper numbers from fan graphs that we're all going to be looking at. And we're just going to be looking at maybe some trends that we notice and uh, maybe try and figure out who might be the best people to pick up this season or this season coming up, if we ever have a season. Who knows? Because everybody's just sitting around staring at each other. Um, so, yeah, this I think this is going to be a pretty fun show. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, we'll pull up the spreadsheet here and just get started. All right. Well, I'm not sure if I want to share it or, I mean, do you guys think I should share it? It's kind of, uh, am I, I don't want to intimidate anyone, but it's a, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll Maybe just consensus. pull it up for reference, you know, for our YouTube viewers. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about them. All right, well, here's the spreadsheet in, its, in all its glory. Um, YouTube, YouTube viewers, you are very important to this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, otherwise I would never have a reason to show off these uh, spreadsheets. <laughs> With all the bright and fancy colors. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, red, as always, is red hot, really good. And anything in a bluish, hueish color, that's really bad. Yellow is down the middle with orange being a little bit slightly above average. Like you can see the 205, the 205 total bases that Michael Brantley racked up last year. And green is more towards the bad side, like the 110 total bases that Andy Ibanez got last year. The more mostly, I assume that's mostly a playing time issue, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into it. Now I asked the guys and before I, you know what, before I go on to the spiel, uh, so, so the baseball Savant stuff, right? This came out what in 2014, 2015. I remember writing an article. Yeah, about it was it. about I think 14 or 15. Was I think they had data on 14, but it wasn't until 15 that baseball savant 
went live or 16, but they had uh, numbers from 15. That's what it was. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's what I remember it as well. I remember writing an article. And I remember writing very glowingly about this this new revolution that was happening, and I figured this is something that both the analytics crowd and the traditionalists, for lack of a better term, that this was to be something that they would all get on board with, right? Because it, it wasn't theoretical, it wasn't abstract, it wasn't like we're going to recalculate these other numbers and, and account for league factors and ballpark factors and all the stuff that people hate about the advanced metrics. This is like scouty stuff right this is like whatever you hear from scouts talking you know like oh this, the ball just sounds different when it when it comes out that guy's bad or you could smell the wood burning as the fastball whizzes by that bat or you could smell the curveball as it <laughs> recirculates the air in the grass all these little uh uh narrative based you know uh descriptions now they're in numeric form and what we're what in the sixth or seventh year of this? This is publicly available uh, information. It's not hidden uh, for all the masses to see how baseball works and numbers and how it. I mean, Sean brings up pitch location and how the pitches break in a certain way. Uh, exit velocity has become a, a, a thing that you got to talk about when you talk about a player. And unfortunately, especially in this baseball life group, I got to say I'm a little a little disappointed that it gets met with so much pushback. Um, just a lot of pushback, like saying that these are fake numbers and they're not fake. These are literally measurables. They're measuring their performance-based metrics that it is, they are what they are. You know, now some of these are a little bit abstract, the, uh, the expected batting average, the expected on-base percentage. So that, that I understand, but I mean, exit velocity, you cannot question a guy like, who's that? Michael Brantley averaging an exit velocity of 89 and a half miles an hour being a like league average. You cannot question that he has a 9.9 launch angle, which probably um, helps or not help, but explains why he produces such a middling um, league average exit velocity. Uh, and I know how Sean feels about it. We talked about these numbers all the time, but I, I want to hear from Austin, though, because Austin's kind of like in, on that fence. Uh, you know, he's he's in the middle of both uh, sides of the spectrum here. I mean, what's your take on on, on the whole uh, baseball savant uh stat cast revolution controversy for lack of a better way of putting it. Well, I think, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that if you've heard me on this show and you've heard me on my other show, to, uh, the, uh, round trippers podcast, um, I'm definitely, I grew up playing baseball the old school way yeah. and I very much enjoy the narrative part of baseball. It took me a while to get used to the, um, numbers part, even though I am a math person, it took me a while to get to the numbers part. And, you know, when I first started looking at it, I was like, this doesn't, I don't understand these numbers. I think it's too advanced. I think you're looking too deep into it. I think this is ridiculous launch angle. What is this launch angle business? I was pretty successful, you know, and I'm pretty, I was a pretty successful baseball player and I'm sure my launch angle wasn't great. I was more of a, you know, punch and Judy, uh, David Fletcher, Nick Madrigal type of person uh, when it came to hitting. So you would have, uh, you probably would have hated me playing. Hey, uh, but that on base was through the roof, right? The on base was through the roof. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's right. 800 OP, uh, 800 OBP in Little League. That's right. Um, so, you know, but when I started like getting into podcasting and really, you know, growing into, and it's, even when I got into baseball life and I started looking more into these numbers, I see it more as these numbers tell a story almost. You know what I mean? They almost, you know, you can use these numbers. That's fine. 
But I think if you use them comprehensively, you can tell the story about a player, right? And I think that's where you can marry the two together. And I think some people are just stuck in, oh, well, I'm only going to be doing the eye test. And then there are, you know, consequently, there are other people that are like, I'm only going to look at a spreadsheet and not look at the player. You know what I mean? So I am in both, but I think it's more, uh, more of those, like you look at the stats and go, okay, this guy doesn't do very well in this what's wrong with his swing so that we can, we can make that better. So I think it's, you know, I think it's kind of good that um, we kind of have this and I'm hoping in the future that we can marry these two camps together Um, in terms of launch angle by itself. I think some people rely on launch angle a little too much or exit velocity a little too much because, you know, baseball is as, as much as it is about skill, it really is about luck. You could hit that seed right at the shortstop and then you could hit that little, you know, that little squeaker that comes off the bat and it rolls past everybody because there, it just happened to be in the spot that nobody can reach. Right. I mean, people get infield hits and drag bunt hits all the time hitting in that iron triangle. And then people hit that seed that just lands right into the left fielder's glove. And everybody's like, man, that was a hit. You know what I mean? So um, I think, you know, people rely a little bit too much on launch angle and exit velocity to determine how good a player actually is. But I think it'd be nice if we could marry the two camps together. One day, one day we will join these two camps <laughs> ah. together. <laughs> and and I, I'm highlighting a, a note here uh, that kind of uh, breaks down launch angle according to the baseball savant page. So anything less than 10 degrees, that's basically a ground ball, which explains why all the uh, you see the punch and Judy hitters at the top as uh, I have this sorted by uh, batted balls by plate appearance or something to that effect. And uh, Kevin Newman and David Fletcher, Nick Madrigal, those guys uh, are at the top of the list. It's not surprising because they have an average launch angle of less than 10 degrees. Anything between 10 and 25 degrees, is a, it should be more for line drives, which very excited to see Kyber Ruiz, who's, who's a catcher we've been talking about a lot long on this time. podcast. Long time. And, and uh, last, uh, for a catching preview that Austin Knight did in December, uh, I'm very excited to see. And he, he gets a lot of contacts, uh, a lot of uh, batted balls in play as well uh, on uh, per plate appearance. So, uh, yeah, lots of uh, lots of variety, as you can see at the top of, of this list, because like I said, let's go back to the beginning. And I do have it sorted by batted balls per plate appearances. And the first thing that, I, that just kind of shows up is Kyber Ruiz. I mean, he didn't get a lot of playing time, but we were uh, Austin and I were talking uh, back in the summer how impressed we were at the limited playing time that he got. And all this blue that you see here, I know blue is bad, but that's because he didn't get a lot of playing time because, you know, he got called up late. Um, but yeah, uh, this is something to look uh, forward to. You, you rarely see catchers. I mean, I guess I'm not going to use the word rarely, but it's nice to see catchers, especially after we went through the whole Mike Zunino thing, catchers that can actually put the ball in play and put a lot of contact on the ball. And, uh, yeah, lots of batted balls uh, on the field comes with a somewhat respectable batting expected batting average. So it's not that big of a fluke that Ruiz is, uh, making these balls and putting these balls in play and still able to somewhat be productive. Um, so that batting average is kind of middling, if not above average, this is, you know, 2020s, man, 263 is now respectable batting average. So take it for what it is. And he was still able to produce a 742 ops last year. So, and again, the launch angle, 18.6% line drive hitter. So, uh, uh, Sean, what else do you, do you, do you uh, notice about Kyber Ruiz on this chart? I, I, when it comes to Kyber Ruiz, it's always going to be 
he has the contact ability, I guess is the word that we'll use for it. And anytime you have someone who it, it kind of reminds me of Francisco Mejia. They're both switch hitting catchers. Uh, both in the minors showed great bat to ball skills with burgeoning power, which is what we saw out of Kybert Ruiz in 2021, where in 72 games, he hit 21 home runs in the minors before being traded in the Max Scherzer deal. And when you look at the strikeout to walk numbers for a relatively young catcher, he walked 6.3% of the time. That's okay. But only struck out 9.4% of the time, which is really interesting. And if he can learn to tap into that power, because he's always been more of a pull side hitter. And that would be a really interesting player. And I know in NFBC drafts so far lately, he's been one of the most talked about catchers in fantasy drafts so far. Yeah. Uh, he's a very uh, aggressive swinger based yeah. on his uh, outside the zone strike zone. For a guy who, uh, I guess it shouldn't be surprising because he makes a lot of contact, but he doesn't strike out too much. So it just speaks volumes to uh, his uh, ability to just put the ball in play. But in your opinion, Sean, um, is the aggressiveness too much or is that part of the spiel that that's why he's able to generate so much content? I mean, it is, but is that going to be a detriment or is that going to be more of a benefit if he continues to be this aggressive? I think with him, if he can hit more for extra bases in terms of that, the whole, like the line he posted this year, 273, 333, 409, you could, you would take those first two numbers and really you would take the last one if he gives you good defense, which he is kind of iffy defensively. So you would hope for a little bit more power and in a lineup that, is kind of lacking it outside of Juan Soto. Maybe he fills that power vacuum a little bit, but uh, I think he's going to be one of those how depends on how that the powered part of him develops. But like you said, the, the highly aggressive, I think that's just, you have to live with that because he likes to swing the bat and, and he has the ability to put the ball in play. It's not like he's swinging and missing and swinging a lot and missing a lot. It's a, a pretty balanced in terms of, putting the ball in play. Yeah, I'm noticing the, uh, so again, this is the the guys who are at the top of the uh, batted balls in play. Uh, most of these guys are, uh, they don't swing and miss outside the strike zone. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know who TJ Friedel Jr. is, but he's, uh, he's way up there in terms of missing and swinging, but he also doesn't swing a lot either. So that might be a, a, a numbers thing where he doesn't have enough volume to be a consistent hitter outside the strike zone. But yeah, most of these guys are, are pretty uh, reserved. And then you got a guy like Hyber Ruiz who swings at everything else, uh, not everything, but relatively very aggressive outside the strike zone, along with guys like Jose Iglesias, Harold Ramirez, Ramel Tapia, Eddie Rosario, the, your uh, MVP from last year. I forgot which one, NLCS or was it the World Series? I can't, I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I mean, but mo- most often than not, these guys are pretty patient and they, they don't swing at pitches way outside the strike zone. Uh, Austin, so that was the assignment. Notice a trend, notice a player. What, what's the next player you want to talk about here? Uh, the next player that I'm seeing on here is another player that we've talked about quite a bit. And I think a lot of people are going to want is Tommy Edmond. Um, Tommy Edmond, I think is really going to be um, a, a Cardinal, especially that um, people are going to want. I think he's going to be the, uh, Oh, what's his name? The Dil- the Dylan Car- the new Dylan Carlson. I know everybody was talking about Dylan Carlson and, you know, giving him the stolen bases and he's going to get on base. And I picked up uh Dylan Carlson last year and I just I wasn't really happy with Dylan Carlson but I feel like Tommy Edmond is a little bit um, better Um, you know I mean you see all that red going on the plate appearances the hits the batted balls the batted ball percentages you know he's uh you you don't see very much 
blue you see you know things that are in the middle of the road except for his launch angle i i think if i'm following the line correctly yep 9.5 percent. so yeah i mean he's a, ball guy. he's a little bit of a ground ball hitter um but i think he's he makes up for that with his speed um and he'll be able to beat out uh those balls a little more um you know there was one thing that you know when i played it was always it was good to have speed especially when you hit a ground ball because if the because if the fielder's got to go two or three steps to his left or right chances are it's going to be it's going to be close right yeah. at least so i think he's going to make up for that with his speed um where are we at here there we are uh let's see his he doesn't it doesn't look like he swings out of the strike zone or he doesn't miss out of the strike zone as much he looks like he's about middle of the road in terms of the outside yes. the strike zone swing swing percentage he's you know he's all right but and then when he does he makes pretty good contact with it so you know i think i think he'll be a good player to look at i'm certainly going to be looking at him um and we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes and is that what 25 stolen bases yeah, that's 20, uh, so 25 that's, net stolen bases. Yeah, he yeah. had 30 total. Yeah, he was a yeah, 30 stolen base total. guy last year. He got caught. He got caught, you know, five times. So with with getting on base as much as he does, and, you know, maybe that's a added little bonus there is his uh, stolen bases. I know, you know, people don't – people shouldn't, anyway, draft for stolen bases. But that's st those stolen bases are, are, are nice to have. Yeah, I mean, if I were to sort this by stolen base, I mean, it's, it's these guys – and uh, was that that's uh, 19 players who stole more than 20 bases. And this is just a list that Austin created uh, based on the starting uh, the projected starters, according to roster resource. Uh, so there's about 300 players on this list. 19 of them stole more than 20 bases. And then everybody else is just couldn't get past 19. So it, it is um, it's what we talked about for the last. Uh, I don't know, Sean, what the last five years, it seems like uh, that stolen bases are now. Uh, what do you call it? a desert in major league yeah. baseball. And, so. and, but the thing is compared to some of the other guys, when you value in price granted now, Tommy Edmonds price has gone up. I just drafted him in a, uh, the TGFBI mock. I got him at pick one or 95 last year. I could get him around 120, 130. And I'm still a, a very much a believer, even though he ha only had 11 home runs in 2021, that I would much rather draft Tommy Edmond at around pick 100 than I would Ozzy Albies around pick 15, 16, 17. And it, I, I was just looking at his splits while Austin was talking about Tommy Edmund because I, I love Tommy Edmund. This year he posted the highest career max EV, which is kind of a, a newer one. And it's, you know, basically how hard they hit, you know, one ball. And, you know, yeah. you can kind of – read through the tea leaves how much their raw power truly is. And to see his max EV jump up nearly uh, two miles over, almost three miles per hour, actually. And then you look at the splits, uh, pretty equal in batting average, but against lefties, just like Ozzy Albies, he hit six home runs against lefties and only 157 plate appearances, while he hit five home runs against righties and 534 plate appearances. So if it's one of those, he can get on base a little bit more because this year I think he only posted the, uh, yeah, 308 on base. I would much rather him be closer to the 330, 350 like he was in his rookie year of 2019 because that would allow him to steal bases more. But when you look at his spot in the lineup, he's going to be in front of guys like Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, uh, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, all those guys. Dylan Carlson might be actually ahead of him, but I, I think it's a really good spot for him. 
And he has that just ability to hit the ball. His average EV is not going to blow you out of the water, but it's a line drive heavy, doesn't strike out, makes a lot of contact. And like Austin said, he has speed. And that speed will enhance every other part of his game. Because what might just be a single for other guys could turn into a double. What might be a double for other guys might be a triple for him. So I think he's a really interesting piece to have. And of course, with the dual second base shortstop eligibility, really makes him valuable. So you mentioned, if he, what was it, if he can get to 330? Right, yeah, like in said? terms of on base, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a 330. Yeah, he was 350 his first year, and then let's, he's been 317, 308. Let's say that's a fluke. All right, yeah. he's projected to get to 320. I mean, that, are, is anybody going to be disappointed that if he if he gets a, a 320 on base percentage? I wouldn't be. No, okay. Right, well, if he go. has so, the 320 on base, I'd maybe hope I, the last two years, of course, the slugging's been sub 400, but I just think that there's something about his swing that he really hasn't tapped into yet, especially for someone who hits as many line drives as he does, you would expect a little bit more extra base um, numbers from him. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Jacob's here from the Step Back Basketball Podcast. Uh, damn, man, it took them a while. I was waiting for them to, because uh, I only I listened to their stuff on Spotify, and it took them forever to put up their last two episodes. So go check them out. They're back-to-back episodes available now. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google. I don't know about title, but, uh, but yeah, go listen. To, well, actually listen to all of us. You listen to them. You listen to us. You listen to all the podcasts in the life group podcast circle here. Uh, and, uh, and the baseball podcast rounds too. He was uh, my guest last week on round troopers. That is correct. You are correct about that. Talking about the hall of fame. Uh, and then he's letting me know that yes, yeah, spreadsheet Felipe is in the house. <laughs> Well, we're, we're talking about stolen bases. Uh, One thing that I noticed before we move to the next thing um, was, yeah. you know, the top the top 10 about in stolen bases are already people that you're going to draft kind of high in, in the higher rounds anyway. You had St- Starling Marte, Trey Turner, Fernando Tatis was in there, Bo Bichette. Um, you know, there were a lot of players that you're going to – there it is. Um, Whit Merrifield, Trey Turner, Miles Straw. I think Miles Straw is another one that's going to go a little bit higher. I like Miles Straw personally. Um, You know, Cedric Mullins will probably get um, will probably get drafted higher in most leagues. Um, You know, whether he's going to produce like he should be drafted higher or not, we'll see because of that. You know, sophomore slump. We'll see what happens. Jose Ramirez, I'm expecting to go somewhere in the top five in almost every draft. Shohei Otani. You know, these guys, all these guys you're looking at right here are guys that are probably looking at going uh, or being picked up in higher in the higher draft picks that is a very good point yeah because then after that is this jazz chisholm which is a question mark nikki lopez which i'm not gonna get to about nikki lopez because i don't want to say hey, the whole he thing was about 22 him. for uh, 23 in stolen bases there it is uh dylan moore <laughs> and then there's ozzy albies who produces both home runs and and stolen bases but he comes at a very high premium randy rosarena trevor story so yeah the, the first 10 are almost slam dunks and then the, the bottom 10 or uh, the next 10 after that are kind of uh iffy uh, but let, let's, I want to take a look at bolts, which bolts, uh, is one of those stack has numbers. It's Trey Turner and then everybody else. And, uh, Sean, can you <laughs> remind the folks what bolts means? I, Cause I can't remember at this point. It's supposed to be any sort of competitive run where they reach a certain threshold, um, that I'm pretty sure is a feet per second. It's like 27 or 28. Uh, I'd have to look it up if you I thought want. it was 30. It, it might be 32. Um, but it's like any competitive run over a certain amount. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's going to be Trey Turner and basically everybody else. Um, 
This is really amazing how, I mean, he's, it doesn't show up on a stolen basis because what was it? Starling Marte was the league leader. Yeah. But I mean, that is, that's something that people probably need to, I mean, if people care enough about these metrics, that's something that people probably need to take a look at is just how, how uh, he's able to maximize his speed when he's around the bases better than everybody, anybody else. What is that Austin about uh, two and a half times better than his uh, next guy uh, on the list here, which is Garrett Hampson. I'm at Rosario. Uh, so what I want you guys to look is look at the bolts, right? So very impressive looking stat. And then look at this, like the stolen bases and the number of times caught stealing. And I can't help but wonder uh, if there's like some sort of correlation that we can make about 30 how. 30 feet per second. Yeah, yeah I, I, was, I just looked it up. I was going to let Austin know. And it's, you have to have at least 10 competitive runs to qualify for the uh, leaderboard of uh, bolts. So my question to you is, uh, can we, uh, is, what does bolts tell us about maybe trying to predict guys who, let me look, for example, uh, with 40 bolts, uh, John Birdie, who we talked about uh, before last season, Sean, only got five stolen bases and got three times. Uh, I'm just trying to see if we could find that next, uh, I don't know, Miles Straw, you know, or the next uh, Jazz Chisholm or Edmunds, Edmundo Sosa uh, based on the bolts figure here. Yeah, I think when it comes to stolen bases, and using bolts, I, I although I've always looked at bolts as that high end, you know, the, the extra proverbial gear. And guys like Trey Turner are going to reach that gear on plays, you know, first to third or second to home. But just necessarily crossing the thirty feet per second threshold doesn't necessarily going to make you a good base dealer. And like the the number one name that comes to mind for me as a Mets fan is Brandon Nimmo is the fastest guy on the team. It's not even really close faster than VR. Uh, He was faster than Starling Marte in 2021, but he's a terrible base dealer. He just doesn't get good jumps. And I think when it comes to stolen bases, especially the most common, you know, first base to second base, it's all about that jump rather than the top end speed. Because if you get the good jump and you choose it on the right pitcher, you necessarily, you don't have to run that fast or, you know, reach that, high-end gear because you're already bringing it down halfway there to start your slide. So I think it's there are you can look at some of these guys, but when it comes to stolen bases, in terms of trying to project it, it's not, of course, the best way. But these guys that do like to run a lot, go look at their minor league success rate. Because if you see a trend where they were very successful, yes, it could have just been bad minor league pitcher-catcher combos that couldn't throw them out. But if it's multiple years of it, it makes you think that, hey, they really are great at picking up on when the pitcher is going home and they just take off. Mm. And they don't even have to be, be that fast. Khalil Lee stole 50-something bases in 2019, and he has like 45 value speed. But he stole 50 bases, and he has good speed in the outfield. So it's a very interesting way to do it. A couple of those guys, of course, are going to steal bases, but not all of them will, like you pointed out, John Birdie. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at sprint speed and see if we can uh, get a better gauge of what that uh, of how that maybe correlates to stolen bases. And as you can see, Byron Buxton only stole ten bases, but that he was his season was cut short last year by a ninety point nine percent stolen base rate. Uh, I think that's pretty darn good, right? If you could steal ninety percent of the stolen bases you attempt to steal, and then you got a guy like Gary Hampson who only was at seventy point eight percent and was caught stealing seven times, but he's pretty darn fast too. So uh, I don't know, Austin, what does that tell you about how even guys with a lot of uh, with high amounts of sprint speed um, still struggle to not only find stolen base opportunities, but also uh, get caught stealing uh, more than they should? 
because stolen stolen bases is or stealing bases is more about um is less about being fast it's it's great to be fast it's you know if if you're fast sometimes you can cover up a little bit of the mistakes you make when you're stealing bases because you can make up for it because you're fast but you know it's way more than just being fast you have to be able like like sean said to get a good jump you have to be able to read the pitcher you have to be able to understand the situation if you're stealing on fastball counts you're going to make it super mm-hmm. difficult for mm-hmm. uh, for you to steal bases because the ball's going to get there faster right and then not only that it depends on who's on the mound what kind of move they have what catcher is behind the mound or what catcher's <laughs> behind the plate because if you've got somebody like Yadier Molina, you better have a really good jump or you ain't making it right. So it's, there's so much more to stolen bases than just being fast. The one person that I think about in history that, you know, I always look back to is Bobby Abreu. When you look at Bobby Abreu, I don't believe Bobby Abreu was all that fast. I haven't looked as at at his baseball savant numbers. This is strictly (laughs) eye test, but he's, he's not all that fast. I don't think he, I mean, he's not slow. He's not Albert Pujols, but he, you know, he's not Trey Turner, Tim LaCastro, any of these guys either, but he had 400 career stolen bases. The man knew how to steal a base. Why? Because he can get a good jump and he knew when to steal bases. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more about, I, I, I really think it's really hard to quantify a good base stealer besides just stolen bases. Um, because I mean, we're looking at, you know, bolts and sprint speed and all that. And it's littered with guys that are nowhere near the top stolen bases. Yeah. Right. So I think it goes beyond stats and it's just got to be something you're inherently good at or something that you're taught. You got to know when to steal and you got to know when to like, um, how to read the pitcher. So just wanted to point out something really quick uh, as I'm kind of uh, fiddling around with these numbers. Uh, Bo Bichette. I was just kind of looking for someone who might be in all red or close to it, orange hue color. And it looks like Bo Bichette might be the closest guy. And then it got to the bolts and he had zero bolts unless there's something happening with the chips or the cameras that didn't detect the bolts. Bo Bichette and many others like him, Dylan Moore, who's pretty fast. Uh, Isaiah kind of Falefa and Robbie Grossman. I mean, these are pretty decent base runners. Got zero bolts last year. So, uh, so I guess the, the, I guess the lesson here is that not all base dealers are created equally and uh, there is no such thing as a perfect base dealer as they all come with uh, we, uh, weaknesses and qualms about them that kind of drive you crazy. I guess the closest guy that comes uh, relatively close, I should say, to not getting any bluish color on this graph, on this chart, might be Marcus Simeon, who stole 16 bases while he's only caught once. 94.1% stolen base rate, five bolts, and a sprint, a healthy sprint speed of 28.6 feet per second. So uh, it, it is feet per second, right? We, we agree that yep. it was feet per yeah, second. Feet, okay. Yeah, feet per second. Feet per second. Yeah. So, yeah, so Marcus Simeon might be the as close as it gets to the perfect base dealer, but it doesn't uh, come with a lot of opportunities to steal a lot of bases. Uh, but let's talk about Marcus Simeon now playing for the Texas Rangers. Uh, Sean. Is he going to repeat what he did last year, or is he in for a rude awakening? I mean, when we look at Marcus Simeon's 2021, uh, even compared to his 2019, there were some very different things. Uh, You pull up his home run graph and show where all of his home runs went, and they were almost all right down the line, pulled. His pull percentage was up, fly ball percentage was up. Kind of reminded me a lot of like a a Eugenio Suarez 
type profile. Um, he played great defense at second, so you're going to get the second. Is he going to hit 40 home runs again? Uh, I, I don't know. It, it depends on how the Texas ballpark plays. So far this year, it played very large. I'm not sure how it affects right-handed versus left-handed. I, I need to dig into that. Um, but Simeon at 32, I believe he is. Uh, it, it, it's hard to project anyone and say, yeah, that guy's going to hit 40 home runs, especially a 32-year-old who's coming off of doing it for the first time. And after a big contract year, you know, that first year of the new contract usually tends to be, um, let's say, disappointing. As me as a Met fan know all too well, Beltron's first year was terrible and Doors' first year was terrible. But uh, it, it'll, it'll be interesting. He definitely does check a lot of boxes when it comes to fantasy. I would expect the stolen bases to come down. Uh, that's any time after a big contract. I feel like players just stop running as much. Uh, boy. Well, we'll see if it, uh, how it turns out. I mean, Corey Seager now joins him down there. Uh, we talked about the Rangers uh, uh, lineup, Austin and I did before. And they got a lot of work to do. They got a lot of work to do. So speaking of which, Austin... Let's uh, go back to you. Where do you want to take us on this chart next? Um, let's see. Let's look at, I don't know. Let's talk about whether we think Jazz Chisholm Jr. is going to be, uh, going to be <laughs> as successful as all the, his craze is. Uh, honestly, in my opinion, I think we're going to see a big slump from him. Um, mm. I, I don't particularly expect Jazz Chisholm to do very well. Um, but I expect him to be one of those guys that everybody is going to take in one of the first three rounds and everybody be like, yeah, I got jazz Chisholm. And then, and then in three weeks, everybody be like, crap, I have jazz Chisholm. So, um, first three rounds. That's, that's, is that, is that where he's going? Uh, No, his ADP right now is 98. So that's around seven, eight in the TGFBI mock. I just did. He went number 84. Okay. Yeah. So what was that like? Uh, I, I think he's going to be drafted higher than what he's. Oh, oh I, I, I agree there. I do think as the season gets closer, I think he's going to get pushed up. I just, uh, he's one of those, like you said, it's more of like a hype. Like he's an exciting player. No doubt. He's electric. Yeah. He hits the ball really hard. He can run really fast. I, there's just some integral flaws that could hold him back. Uh, yeah. The stolen base success rate in the minors has never been great. Uh, the minor league numbers overall have never been great. He's always been a tools over what he's putting up in the minors. And we see those tools. We just don't see them enough. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Go ahead. You know, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't have as much confidence in jazz Chisholm as I do in somebody like, I'd probably be a little more confident in Cedric Mullins than I'd be in jazz Chisholm, but even, you know, I haven't done this very long. I've only done it for, I think it's two years. It's been two years now. (laughs) And, um, but I don't know. I tend to stay away from guys that are in their second year that are coming off their rookie year, especially if they're coming off a really good rookie year, because it's very, it's very difficult. I think the only rookie that I'd be looking at, like seriously looking at putting on my team is Wander Franco. Um, other, other than that, I'd be really wary of picking up Cedric Mullins or Jazz Chisholm or, you know, um, even Jonathan India might uh, slump a little bit. I don't, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I haven't dug too deep into Jonathan India, but the only one I would be confident in putting on my team and putting him in the starting lineup and having him produce is Wander Franco. 
mean, that's the obvious choice right there. Uh, Wander Franco. Uh, that's an easy one. I mean, everybody wants Wander Franco. I think he probably goes in the third round. Uh, do you have the ADP there for available for Wander Franco? Oh, there Franco, Franco? I'll, Franco, I'll pull it up. But he is an interesting one. I've seen on Twitter lately, uh, somebody posted a um, his home runs and stolen bases once he came up uh, last year. And the home run stolen base numbers weren't all that, you know, impressive to say the least. And why can't, Oh, that's, that's why. Um, sorry. Uh, but I'm trying to pull it up and I uh, had the wrong tab open right now. His ADP is at 43 closer <laughs> to 44, but the, he, and basically half a season's worth of at bats, he had seven home runs and two stolen bases. And if you extrapolate that out and with where he's going, it is kind of a who would actually pick that. But I, the people that are drafting Wander at that price, they're believing in the ability rather than the tools. Like he's the anti-chism. You know, he's not as exciting, but with his ability, raw abilities that we've seen, you know, every single season in the minors and when he was in the major leagues, including the playoffs, you know, the grandest stage of them all you know mm-hmm. he was hitting for power and he's still growing into that so some people can say oh he's only projected to hit you know 14 home runs and maybe steal 10 bases he's not worth the price but when you look at his skills it's so easy to envision him surpassing that you know by a mile as you can see Wander Frankel uh was 18th overall and on this list in terms of the batted balls per plate appearances so the contact, the contact is there. The uh, the hit tool is there. I, I, uh, before we, uh, I keep going about Wander Frank, I just wanted to point out that the, the the bright side about Jazz Chisholm, if I could be one of his defenders, is that he is projected by almost all the projections at Fangraphs to get to twenty home runs and twenty twenty and twenty stolen bases, which is uh, something that uh, most fantasy leaguers uh, want. Uh, to be able to get on their team, you know, those, those statistics, you, you're telling me you got a, a guy that can give me both the speed and the power numbers and people are going to fall in love with it. So uh, yeah, maybe he, there would be some reaches, but yeah, I'm not drafting him that I'm not drafting jazz chess on that early yeah. at all. That's way too early. If you're talking about third, fourth round, Wander Franco, a little bit more of a safer pick despite the lack of experience. Uh, last year was his uh, breakout party, but as you can see, a lot of these numbers are, uh, um, I mean, the, 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 the power numbers aren't there, but I mean, he produces eight, 10 ops, for a rookie uh, coming in late in the season, that's impressive. The batting average is going to be there. The on base is going to be respectable. Uh, maybe the power numbers will uh, get better. The exit velocity—that's the one that I'm not sure about. But as uh, we're not, um, we're not going to uh, what do you call it? Uh, treat it as religion, I guess, so to speak, and assume that that's going to improve just naturally and organically, especially with the uh, with the Rays. But the one thing that is a little bit of concern, and just a little bit, not a lot, and maybe it has something to do with his lack of experience, lack of polish, is a 4.9 barrel percentage, uh, Sean. Um, I, I, it's safe to say that that should improve, or is there something in his minor league numbers that suggest that this is as good as it gets for him? With Franco, it really is one of those, he makes so much contact that it might actually be putting him behind the eight ball because he can swing at nearly everything and put a good swing on it, but it's not necessarily going to be the most optimal swing in, ter- no, in terms of trying to, to pull something. The ground ball percentage has always been not dangerously high, but above 40% and usually above 45%. And that's what it was in his first, you know, cup of Joe in the majors was 
45.3 ground ball percentage and only a 34 fly ball percentage. He doesn't really pull the ball as much. I don't think he's really tapped into that yet. But of course, somebody with that skill, we saw it with Vlad Jr. You know, in the minors, that was always his number one red flag was he hit so many ground balls. And we saw this year, he fixed it and he became the monster we all knew that he could be. But like you said, with Wander, just because he has that great ability to make contact, he might have to learn, hey, let me not swing at that pitch. I can get a better pitch that I can do more with compared to just, you know, poking it in the, the four hole between, you know, the third base and second, or not third base, first base and second base, or like poking it up the middle. I, I think that's something that he can easily do. I mean, he's t- going to be, what, 21? He is 20, just turned 21. Yeah. I mean, or he's about to turn 21 in March. Um, he's very young. Yeah. And, I mean, he's an 80-grade hit tool, and if there's anyone that can make an adjustment like that, it would be Wander Franco. All right. Well, that's Wander Franco. We should all know who he is. Uh, just wanted to, uh, you know, want to know if, if, if it's mostly hype or if this is something that could be. It sounds like it's more real, especially compared to Jazz Chisholm, who is – a raw athlete and is still trying to get more polished, still trying to get more experience. So it's pretty interesting, the dynamic between the two players. All right. Well, Austin uh, led us to uh, Jess Chisholm and Wander Franco. Where do you, Mr. Flannery, want to take this uh, chart next? I kind of want to talk about a guy that isn't on this list and I'm not sure how he possibly got missed, but when I think of baseball savant and these kind of crazy outlier numbers and what they can really show about a player. It's O'Neill Cruz. Oh, well, he's and not on the list because he's yeah, never played before. I mean, he, he had, he, I mean, he had five batted balls. He, he uh, played the last two games of the year. And so I saw some of the pitchers that were on the list and I was like, maybe, maybe that's why I, I, I don't know. But o- O'Neill Cruz did something insane. And uh, if I could pull it up, I just had it here. Here we go. Max. So Just FYI, it, we decided we would stay away from rookies and people oh, that are probably yeah. going to be projected to go up or people that are projected to be pulled up. Um, we didn't put them in the spreadsheet. Basically, uh, basically what yet. we did was anybody that was projected to have, I believe it was at least 300 plate appearances. I think. No, no, uh, no. 300 players. But yeah, uh, I think I, I, I did the cutoff at 10 plate appearances and maybe that's why. I know yeah, he, he had he had nine plate appearances, but he is projected. I mean, because. All, all of his projections are like 360, 450 in terms yeah. of plate appearances. But he had one of the most crazy last two games of the year in which in his only only nine at-bats or nine plate appearances, he had a ball that he hit 118.2 miles an hour, which was the seventh highest max EV in the 2021 season. And the only people that regularly get up in that category are guys like Stanton. He posted 122, which is stupid. Manny Machado, Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, Pete Alonso, and then, of course, another really fun name, Franchi Cordero. But <laughs> O'Neill Cruz has just like the stupid, like leverage, you know, he's six foot seven lefty, yeah. and he just has this insane raw power, 70 grade raw power, or 70 grade game power, 80 grade raw power. And he's going to play on a Pittsburgh team that has nothing better to lose than just to let him play. And he had the one home run. He had, I think, another ball that was like hit 160 miles an hour. And I just think he's going to be really, really fun. And like I said, I know he wasn't on the list, but you look at some of his EV numbers from just five batted balls. Um, He barreled two of his five batted balls. And 
I mean, it, it's just kind of stupid, the potential that uh, we have with him. On the opposite side of the spectrum, he's still a raw prospect. And oh, he very. just got called yeah. up. Six, seven. Uh, he's he's 23 years old, so he's already older than uh, Wander Franco. And there's still some uh, going to be a steep learning curve. But projections love him. I mean, yeah. Zips, uh, depth charts, 2020 player. At the very worst, he's a team player for a team, T-E-E-N, not T-E-E-A-M, if I could spell correctly. Uh, the bat uh, has him at 14 home runs and barely missing out on 10 stolen bases. So uh, late round production, but because of the hype as a minor leaguer and because he's playing with the Pirates, they got nothing to lose, right? Yeah. Except maybe uh, a year of eligibility. I don't know what the Pirates are doing anymore. I honestly don't have an idea. I don't care. <laughs> All I care is that O'Neill Cruz is going to come up and he's going to uh, be given a chance because they got nothing else. Unfortunately, you said it, 6-7. Um, I feel like he's going to be running into a lion's den of pitchers just waiting to take advantage of that oversized strike zone. But I am excited to see him. This is the guy I've been coveting for like the last two or three years. And uh, I might have missed a train on him because, uh, you know, there's just a, a wealth of uh, middle infielders and, and uh, up-the-middle athletes, like center fielders and the like, that uh, are a little bit better, uh, I think, and a little bit more polished than O'Neill Cruz. But this is someone I, why I am very interested to keep an eye on for the yeah. upcoming season. And the other thing with Cruz is, like you said, it, it does worry me a little bit. He's six foot seven. He does have that swing and mess. But when you look at his numbers throughout the minors, as he's gotten higher up into the minors, the strikeouts have, for the most part, come down. And that's really a encouraging thing when you see a guy who does have that swing and miss. And as he faces better and better pitching, it still cuts down. And I think it is partially he is such a feared hitter because that 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 man can do some dirty things to those baseballs. And so maybe minor league pitchers are like, hey, I'm just going to not deal with this guy. I'm going to go get the next one. Meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, a, a major league pitcher is not going to do that. They're just like, I'm throwing a no hitter tonight. Do do something about it. <laughs> but like you said, I, there are several encouraging things about O'Neill Cruz. The fact that he just smacks the hell out of the ball is one, just one of many. All right. Moving on now. Uh, I have. Uh sorted this list by uh, another stat that I created out of these stat cast numbers, which is total basis per plate appearance. Just wanted to see what that like. I feel like, you know, we are the total basis podcast. The total basis stat is the flagship statistic of this podcast officially, unofficially. And the guy that shows, I mean, it's a who's who of players, Luis Robert, Fernando Tatis, Nick Castellanos, Vladimir Guerrero, Salvador Perez, big thumping run producers. And then at the top of this list is Frank Schandel, who another guy we talked about uh, when we were doing the positional um, previews uh, is a guy that I like, not just because he's a, a Cubs player, but just because he did show in very limited time, though, unfortunately. So there's a lot to uh, be desired there. But in that short amount of time, he was able to show that he can produce in this league, put the ball in play numerous times, was able to be very productive. Uh, posted a 962 ops last year. His expected uh, uh, slash line is uh, well, except for the on base percentage. I think uh, the on the expected on base percentage is uh, showing a player that was more fluky than skilled. But everything else seems healthy. I mean, if anything, he could be a, a, a decent power thumping first baseman. But here's the concern. And again, I know exit velocity is not the end all be all, but he's doing all of this, all this mashing with an 86.9 exit velocity. Uh, let's start with Austin. Austin, I know you've dealt with this. Uh, you talked about this already, but with a guy like Frank Schindel at a prime position, a prime run producing position, is that a concern for you that his exit velocity isn't matching the power numbers that he's posting in limited time last year? 
It's so funny that I was just talking about how I, I don't think people should rely on exit velocity when I say this. I think his exit velocity is too low, especially with the fact that he's a little bit older. Yeah. Um, you know, if he was a if he was a younger player, he was an upper up and coming player, I'd say, ah, oh, he'd probably get a little bit better. You know, he hit the gym a little bit and he'll be okay. But um Frank Schwindel is a little bit older. I don't remember how old he is. If somebody could look that up, I would appreciate yeah. it. But 20, I know 29, he's 29. He'll turn 30 in June. Okay, so I mean, he's he's not like old. He's not you know carrying a walker out there like Albert Pujols. <laughs> oh no, he is. This is a new baseball man. Twenty twenty two. I mean, thirty years old is a new thirty six years old at this point. But yeah, I mean, he's he's getting up there, you know. So that does concern me. I don't know. It, I don't know how well he's going to produce next year. Um, I would like to because I'd like to see Frank the Tank do another uh, do another circle around the bases and. Uh, do do well but um i'm not quite sure how much he's going to produce if it may be more of a lightning in the bottle i don't know he gets on base um you know obviously and he's getting you know he's uh mashing the ball so you never know i did i did say jared walsh last year was going to be really good because he was mashing the ball and he ended up being a pretty good little player um so you know um but that exit velocity does concern me i do think that um i don't i'm not quite sure he's going to mash as much as he did um, and along that, there's a low barrel rate. Uh, well, not low, but it's just it's just meh. It's like very black barrel rate, middle of the road barrel rate, barrel uh, middle of the road hard hit rate. Uh, he doesn't strike out a lot, which is a big plus in our world. But I mean, he doesn't walk a lot either. And he's very he's, he could be a very aggressive hitter. He could be a very aggressive hitter. Um, so so, but in the meantime, I, I I said it before, and the stack has numbers just kind of justify this. If you draft him um, late, he could be someone of great benefit to you early on. I was going to say, I'd take him late. And you flip him over to an unsuspecting person and reap the rewards and then laugh all the way to the bank when the Cubs decide to flip him in real life for some more prospects and he ends up being on someone else's bench um, in Major League Baseball. So that would be the strategy for Frank Schwindel. I mean, I think he could be a good uh, utility player in very deep leagues. So... Uh, someone to keep an eye on just based on the total basis uh, per plate appearances metric. Um, Sean, any other player that you see uh, from last year who was up there in total base per plate appearances that you want to talk about before we move on to something else here? Well, I, I just wanted to kind of tack on to Schwindel a little bit because okay. it is, he is an interesting player. I've actually was thinking about acquiring him in one of my leagues. I think he's one of those, he did overperform. Uh, in the second half, when he started playing regularly for the Cubs, uh, he actually posted the seventh highest OPS in the second half uh, behind the likes of guys like Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, Joey Votto, Kyle Tucker, Paul Goldschmidt, Corey Seager, and then Frank Schwindel. That's a pretty good list to be you know, a part of. And I think it's one of those, you look at his numbers in the minors, he only posted a 320 on base in the minors, batted 280. He almost seems in a weird way, like Yuli Gurriel, like he's not really the the home run hitter. Granted, I think he has started developing more power, tapping into it in the last, you know, since 2018, he had 24 home runs in the minors in AAA. And then 2019, he had 16. And then, of course, he had this great second half. But maybe he's like a Yuli Gurriel light that you can get, you know, for basically nothing. And he's going to uh, start every day yeah. for the Cubs. I mean, that's there is plate appearances to be had in that lineup. And I think he has it. But in terms of other guys on that list, uh, let's uh, go to Nicky Lopez, who's uh, oh, right beneath boy. him. Uh, 
Well, so this, I, is, I, this is back. Hold on. This is back. Yeah. Uh, I just want to point out that I resorted it based on total basis per plate appearances just because you mentioned Yuli Gurriel, and there they are right next to each other. Boom. In terms of total basis per plate, uh, not total basis, sorry, uh, batted balls. Let me rephrase that. Batted balls for plate appearances. Yuli Gurriel was 25th overall. Schwindel was 28th overall. And that's why you see Nicky Lopez because it's a batted ball thing, which we talked at nauseam already. But as you look at the numbers, uh, they're very similar. Uh, 270 expected ba- uh, batting average. Yeah. Uh, the on-base is uh, very far with Yuli. I mean, Gurriel, if I remember correctly, yeah. I mean, he did have a high OBP this year, but he was usually a lower on-base guy because he didn't walk that much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what. But the expected on base percentage shows that. Yeah, maybe he sh- he could post a higher on base percentage if yeah. he actually tried. But Schwindel has the better power numbers. But look at the ex- expected weighted on base average three three twenty six for Guriel, three twenty nine for uh, Schwindel. Exit velocities are below ninety miles an hour. Uh, similar launch angles. Uh, so yeah, I I, I kind of like this count that you mentioned. They both don't strike out too much. Uh, and then Guriel with the ridiculously high. Uh, walk per strikeout ratio. So I just wanted to point that out. All right. So we weren't going to keep doing these contact hitters, but since you already <laughs> talked about, you already mentioned Nicky Lopez, let's go ahead talk about Nicky Lopez. Why not? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, really? I just wanted to say his name to see uh-huh. your reaction. That was, that was, sure. that was worth the price of admission. Uh-huh. But in terms of a guy who only had two home runs last year, uh, he batted 300. I mean that that's fun too. He posted 365 on base, stole 22 so. bases. Damn. I mean I that's what he did in the minors. I, I loved him in the minors, and then I, I thought after 2019 and 2020 when he played for the Royals and he was just absolutely terrible. I was like, oh my god, this is the end of slappy hitters for me. I, I can't trust him anymore. And then what does he go and do? He just you know is Nicky Lopez and post a four and a half win season. You know what can you do? Uh, just uh, continue to hit the ball and put the ball in play and hope for the best. All right, let's go back to talk about some real <laughs> players here. Total. All right, so let's go back to the total basis for plate appearances. And another guy that showed up on this list that kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to turn this into a Cubs talk thing, but Patrick Wisdom uh, shows up here very weirdly at the uh, in terms of uh, total basis for plate appearance. 31st overall last year on this list. Despite the fact that he didn't put the ball in play too much, uh, only a 49.3% batted balls per plate appearances. And uh, Austin mentioned Jared Wall, so they're right there neck and neck with each other in terms of the total base plate appearances. Uh, I mean, the power numbers are great. The batting, the expected batting average and the expected on base percentage shows a, a guy with very little skill. Um, but everything else, he just seems to just rock the crap out of the ball despite the low hitting ability. Uh, Sean, what do you attribute that to? I mean, like the best, like when I look at his line, 230, 305, 518, it's like I automatically want to think Adam Duvall. Like, but even <laughs> but even Adam Duvall doesn't strike out 41% of the time. Right. And that just, when I see a number that high, granted, I thought he had more than 375 plate appearances in 2021, but 41% of the time, that, that, that can't be sustainable, right? No. No, it, it can't be. It's pretty bad, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I would say it's pretty bad too. <laughs> it's beyond bad. I mean, he had purple uh, plate discipline, which it's it, again. Uh, I guess I forgot to mention that purple on the plate discipline numbers for most of them. Purple means stop freaking swinging, and <laughs> green means you got the green light to keep swinging, and gray just means I just whatever, do whatever you're doing. But I'm just trying to see if I can find a fun way to make sense of these uh, plate discipline numbers. And I mean, a sixty percent outside the zone swinging miss rate from Patrick Wisdom. 
that's ugly. And uh, that's who the Cubs are going to go out and field. But, you know, when he makes contact, the little times that he does oh, make yeah. contact, rocks the crap out of the ball. But, I, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's sustainable. But, all right, Austin, where do you want to take us here? Um, so I took this spreadsheet. I kind of made a copy of this spreadsheet. And, and I did kind of something that Felipe has done in the past. I took some of these uh, 20 uh, – I took the 2021 production categories, um, the hits, the total bases – um, ISO OPS expedit, uh, you know, those stuff. And I ranked and I sorted it based on those. And I gave each, and I gave each a point total. So oh, I averaged wow. it out and I, you know, did stuff like that. And then I saw at the end who was, pro- who was the best in terms of those categories that I chose. Right. And so the top, the top 10 are as follows. Number one, Nick Castellanos, number mm. two, Pete, uh, Pete Alonzo. <laughs> Jordan Alvarez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Rafael Devers, Ozzy Albies, Bryce Harper, Jose Altuve, Nolan Arenado, and 10th, CJ Krohn. Um, So one thing that I noticed with this, though, is they were all in the top echelon of total bases, not the percentage, but the actual number, total bases. And the other thing that I noticed um, was, I mean, obviously they're in the top echelon in all of these, or they wouldn't be the best. They wouldn't right. be the best in the categories that I chose. But the other thing was I looked at the plate discipline numbers and most of them are gray. Uh, you know, there's <clears throat> a little bit of purple in there, but most of them are gray in terms of plate discipline numbers all the way across the board. You know, the, the, uh, the swinging strikes, the outside, the strikes on swing percentage, the swing and miss the whiff percentage, the swing, all of it. They're all middle of the road. So, you know, maybe it's not as good to be a patient hitter and, and Juan Soto is just a freak in that. He can, <laughs> he can I agree there. I agree you there. Know, Juan Soto is just a freak, but you know, it's not good to be swinging at everything either. You know, obviously right. we know it's not good to be swinging at everything because we just talked about Patrick wisdom, but um, you know, I think, uh, I think it ha- it's, there's something to say with it's good to be aggressive um, and sometimes, and it's good to not be aggressive. So don't just look for the guys like David Fletcher or, you know, people like that who are very patient hitters and can, you know, and don't have, and ha- and are more green in terms of plate discipline. You, you want, you want your hitters to be a little more aggressive in terms yeah. of, you know, production status, because the people that I just named are the who's who of who's probably going to be drafted pretty high, you know, minus CJ Crone. I see CJ Crone probably going in the mid rounds, but you know, even then CJ Crone might be that under the radar player that you're looking for that, you know, might actually produce pretty well for you. If you're, you know, in a category league that, uh, that has the basic, has the basic numbers. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one thing that I notice. look for a hitter that is aggressive, but not too aggressive and is not super patient. I look for those middle of the road hitters. Yeah. It's all about that well-balanced approach. Uh, this is something that we've Sean and I have been discussing for ages and we always prefer the patient hitters. And this is something I've been writing about since I started my writing career on my blog back in the late two thousands, uh, early 2010s. It's just a, um, a never ending quest to see what the, best approaches and the best approach is always someone who could be uh middle of the road <clears throat> not too aggressive not too patient just knowing when to hit their the when to select their pitches and all that but in terms of you know which extreme is better and i just feel like if you're this aggressive like okay this is i just sorted it by outside the strike zone swing percentage 
I mean, Michael Chavis, Salvador Perez, Javier Baez. Uh, these guys aren't doing anything. Jorge Alfaro, who you, you, Sean, you know how much I love Jorge <laughs> Alfaro here. Um, but yeah. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, let's uh, sort this by if my computer could uh, cooperate. Let's do it by who's the most patient. Who doesn't, who swings at very little pitches outside the strike zone? I mean, there's Juan Soto, Brandon Nimmo, Robbie Grossman, Max Muncie, Yasmani Grandal. I mean, I'm sorry, but the, Patient hitters, the extreme patient hitters, I should say. The extremely patient hitters, those are the guys that I want on my team, real or fantasy, as opposed to the aggressive hitters who I don't know what the hell to expect from them. I mean, do you do we want to do we trust Javier Bias or do we trust uh who would be the equivalent on this other on this other side of the spectrum here? Um never trust Javier Bias. It doesn't <laughs> matter who you put up there. I am not touch I am not touching Javier Bias with a 10-foot pole. I guess the equivalent would be what Max Muncie or or Kavan Vigio, which is another yeah. guy I don't like, but uh um ah, middle infielders whatever but uh, yeah <laughs> they'll the, rip your heart out <laughs> they'll rip your heart out every single time uh but that's the, well, let's take a look at it let's take a quick look at this uh i'm not sure how what the best approach is at this uh, point but um let me think here let me think here for a second here let's take a look at uh outside the zone swing and miss all right outside the zone swing and miss uh i mean it, look at this it's a the list, the top of the list is Christian Pache, who highly graded prospect, very athletic, freak athlete, does not translate to baseball skills. Christian Pache, 70.5% outside the zone swing and miss. That to me tells me a guy who does not have any clue as to how the strike zone works in Major League Baseball. Uh, Sean, I, I think I heard you ready to talk. Uh, what were you going to say about Christian Pache? Oh, I, I I had nothing on Pache. Oh, that, I thought I heard no, you. No, no, you know. Then was that Austin? Who no, was I, uh, okay? Well, there you go. I mean, that's the that's the extreme version. So okay, so let's let's just go down. Let's go. Let's go to someone who's at like a fifty percent, still kind of purplish, but still on the aggressive, uh, slightly above the aggressive side. And Luis Robert, but Luis Robert produces. I mean, you can say all you want about Luis Robert and how he drives you crazy. This aggressiveness outside the strike zone swing percentage is very high. But he, the guy can produce. He can steal bases. He can hit for power. He hits for authority. Uh, respectable on base percentage. So, I mean, this is something you want from your power-speed combinations. And he makes it work for whatever reason. So let's take a look at the uh, what, makes, what makes him tick. What makes it work? And aside from the aggressiveness... He does make respectable contact outside the strike zone, and that's that has helped him. Uh, he realized that uh, these guys, th- these pitchers, are gonna are gonna keep not wanting to pitch him down the middle. So he has quickly learned, as he has all throughout his minor league career, how to hit outside the strike zone. So that's good. But I mean, the whiff rate is still high. The swing percentage is aggressive, but he makes it work. Luis Robert does. So and then of course he. He's a freakish athlete. He's pretty fast. And you know, I look forward to see if he can one day be a 30-30 guy. So that's Luis Robert. Uh, how far lower do you guys want to be to keep going on this outside the zone swing and miss rate? 45%? I was trying to wonder where uh, – because you talking about Luis Robert in terms of producing and still like swinging outside the zone is, you know, we've kind of seen that from Fernando Tatis. Yeah. And, I mean, they're, I think they're really just like carving copies of each other. And wow. I mean, they worry me. I mean, that me drafting a player like that, that worries the hell out of me. 
But I mean, like you said, it, in the end of the day, they produce and they hit the ball very it, it hard. It works. Yeah. Adam Jones made a career doing that. Pablo Sandoval was a World Series hero, hero being that hyper aggressive. Uh, I mean, obviously, Adam Jones and Pablo Sandoval can hit the ball with more high quantities of contact rate. But th- I mean, that's not to take anything away from what Luis Robert has done. Now, uh, of course, what goes up must come down. He did have uh, the element of surprise. He was out for a very long time. Most he doesn't have a large sample size in Major League Baseball as of right now. But I mean, everything about him so far has, to me, and I'm not just saying this as a, as a White Sox fan. Forget the hoodie that I, uh, forget the beanie that I'm wearing today. <laughs> but that's it's just to me a guy who has lived up to all expectations so far in his first two year, uh, four, uh, seasons in Major League Baseball. So we'll see how that goes. Let's go take a look at the who's at 45. percent Let's just for giggles, 45.4 percent. <laughs> I am not doing this on purpose. I swear to God, Sean, I'm not doing this on purpose. <laughs> Brandon Nemo, there's the opposite side of the spectrum. Very patient hitter. Uh, the rate stats always show a guy who can be that productive player, but I mean he doesn't. But the, the, the not a lot of barrel uh, barrel uh, barrels to his name. Um, not a high isolated power, and not a lot of stolen bases to talk about. I mean this guy, everything about him screams the next big thing at the very least in fantasy baseball, because everything about him just shows man that player. Brandon Nimmo, if he could just figure things out, if he could be a little bit more aggressive, he could be a 2020 guy. What you see? 25, 30, 30. Well, you so, see? So, so, he has, gotta, he's gotten that way. He's gotten that way. No, Aside from stolen bases. It doesn't, it doesn't translate into counting stats is what I'm trying to say. For, for Roto yeah. Leaguers and for Fantasy Leaguers, the rate stats are great. Rate stats are great, but it doesn't produce. So I got to ask you, Sean, Mr. Mets fan, what is stopping Brandon Nimmo from being that 25, 25, 30, 30 guy that Luis Robert has uh aside from injuries for Luis Robert has shown that he could be that guy. What is stopping Brandon Nimmo from being that guy? Well, Brandon Nimmo is never going to steal bases. He's never going to steal bases. 20 stolen bases, 12 caught stealing for his career since 2016. That the stolen bases just aren't are not going to happen. Even though he is fast, he is a good base runner. He's not a good base stealer. Yeah. And in terms of home runs, you know, in only 140 games in 2018, which was the breakout, he had the 17 home runs and posted a 483 slugging, which is impressive. But the last two years, he's actually gone away from the very passive approach. He's increased his swing percentage drastically, and that led to a 280 batting average in 2020 with a 480 slugging, which was a little wonky. He had eight home runs in the shortened season. And then this year in 92 games, he batted 292, still posted another 400 on base, but the slugging came down because he was a little bit more aggressive. He wasn't Nemo used to be a guy who would pull the ball and, you know, when he did pull it in the air, like he could hit it a, a good ways, but now he's gotten more aggressive. He's dropped the strikeout rate, you know, to be- well below league average still walks, you know, tops in the league, but the swing percentage has gone up. He has gotten more aggressive, but the aggressiveness isn't translating to power because his, in his mindset, he just wants to get on base and he does that very well. But it is interesting that he has somewhat changed. He's a more aggressive hitter, but it makes him possibly a less powerful one. It, it doesn't really make sense, but that's kind of how it is. Oh, boy. Well, it's very frustrating because all I see is a guy who should be among the elite. I mean, everything about him just screams elite. He should be at least a top 10 outfielder in my book. But it just doesn't translate. I don't know why. But hopefully if he's this slightly more aggressive, as you say, but everything about him, is, it says – he should be swinging more. He should be more aggressive. He should be because he, he has that ability. But so we'll see what happens in 2022. But I, I, I'm just 
kind of sitting here impatiently waiting. I, not, I went from patiently to impatiently waiting for Brandon Nimmo <laughs> to show me something because I love the guy. Hey, I and if there's something that he can tell teach you about, it's patience and impatience. <laughs> what, what is he, a landscaper? Patience, <laughs> uh, uh, impatience, flowers, whatever. You, you got to let the grass grow. You just got to let it grow. <laughs> All right, Austin, uh, any other uh, plate discipline numbers you want to look at here that uh, you want to want me to sort while I have it on uh, on this part of the spreadsheet here? Actually, it's really funny that you mentioned that because while you guys were talking, I took um, just overall swing percentage, not outside the strike zone, not whiff, just overall swing percentage. I took the 10 hitters that I mentioned earlier, the 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 list that I mentioned earlier, Castellanos, Alonso, Jordan Alvarez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Rafael Devers, Ozzy Albies, Bryce Harper, Jose Altuve, Nolan Arenado, and CJ Crone. I took those swing percentages and I averaged them out, right? Because I was saying that those, you know, those have more of a balanced approach when it comes to their, um, when it comes to their plate discipline. When you look at their swing percentage, I averaged out, you know, the swing percentage just really quickly. And it seems like out of those, the average so maybe the swing percentage you probably want to look at is right around 50%. It's actually 49.3%, which is the exact swing percentage of Pete Alonzo. Ah. Right. And then when you, and then I decided I take it out just a little bit further and do the top 20, right. I'm not going to name it all out because 20 is really long. Um, but I'm going, I, um, I took it. I took the top 20. It dropped a little bit. Ideal swing percentage, 48.83%, which is pretty close to Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant is 0.1% away from the, what, what is quickly the ideal swing mm. percentage. Uh, I think, I think the, I think the takeaway from that is you kind of want a balanced approach, not somebody who's, you know, um, down in the low 40s but you certainly don't want anybody higher than you know higher than maybe 55 all right well, let's I, take I, a quick look at that uh, uh so let's see let's go from <clears throat> excuse me as i clear my throat what no okay all right so that's a good list that's a good list right here starts from 113th ranked danny jansen in terms of swing percentage according to the stack numbers Danny Jansen, all the way down to Manny Machado, as you could barely see right here at number 135. Uh, anybody there from in this sandwich area that kind of catches your eye? Uh, let's start with you, Sean. Anybody here that catches your eye as someone that we uh, are underrating or overlooking? What do you think? I think that range, like Austin was talking about, the ideal swing percentage, is you look at this group of players – and you have so many different types of hitters. You have <laughs> Hunter Renfro, who's just, you know, I want to hit the ball super duper hard and get it in the air and hit home runs and play awesome defense. And then you have like the antithesis of that, which is uh, Eric Hosmer, who's I'm going to hit the ball on the ground and see what happens. And then you have a couple of, you know, quote unquote slappy type guys like Gene Segura and Nico Joey Horner. Wendell and, and Nico Horner as well. And then, of course, I think the best bat on this list is going to be Brian Reynolds. Ooh. And I, I think it's one of those, like, Brian Reynolds versus... Not Jose Abreu? There is Jose Abreu. I, I, I missed him. But, but you notice that we both kind of, like, kind of gave out this collective, like, ah, Jose Well, Abreu. I think people are just sleeping on Brian Reynolds, but that's just <laughs> me. <laughs> I had I had a great time with Brian Reynolds on my fantasy team last there, year. So. There you go. 
<laughs> and he came at a great price last year with the down 2020 season. Oh, I knew. I mean, Brian Reynolds, I, I've said this a million times about him. The guy came out of the womb batting 300. I mean, and, and then he bats like 220 or whatever it was in 2020 or 189. And it's like, there's no way that's the real Brian Reynolds. And of course, now he he completely showed out and he's an awesome hitter. But yeah, like it's weird how you can have different types of hitters can have that same swing percentage, though. Yeah, I mean, once you get to this middle, this middle of the road thing, uh, it, it could go either way. I mean, you're seeing it. I mean, you're seeing bad contact hitters like Hunter Dozier with an awful outside the strike zone uh, contact rate of 38%, which is really bad here on this list. But then you you got a, a mixed bag of both patient and impatient hitters, aggressive hitters, oops, uh, on this list as well. That um, that I think that's why you're seeing a variety. So <clears throat> so when you get it down to like middle of the road kind of thing where, where it starts, where the purple starts to gray out a little bit. I think that's the result. Uh, you're seeing a mixed bag of uh, players that can go either way. Um, something that I wanted to do before we log off for the day here, <clears throat> as we're getting to that time of the day, it's barrel rate. Now we know who the who's who of, 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 of high barrel rates are. I mean, it's, it's, it's power hitters. It's guys who could just rake uh, and hit home runs and mash the ball. <laughs> and then Chad Pinder right behind Salvador Perez. Hey, maybe maybe we're, we, we've been, uh, what do you call it? I love it? it. Chad Pinder, 2022 MVP, let's go. Maybe we've been uh, underlooking, under uh, underrating Chad Pinder. But no, I'm going to take it all the way to the bottom. I mean, the, the bottom of the depths of the sea, the Nick Madrigals, Nico Horners, the Nicky Lopez's of the world. And what I want to do is, is there anybody with a low barrel rate <laughs> that can produce, can show me something, can... Uh, I don't know. Be One name productive. is screaming at me right now. Well, before, before, before I wonder you go, if yours and mine are the same. So what I'm looking at here really quick is I'm looking at from these uh, slash lines and rate stats, right? Anybody, please, anybody, is there anybody in orange? And one of the guys that show up shows up here in orange, even though it's batting average, but the uh, on-base percentage is pretty respectable, is Adam Frazier, which is no surprise that he's at the bottom of the ocean in terms of the barrel rate, but he makes enough contact to hit for a big high batting average. At least that's the expectation and can actually have a, a high enough skill set where he can get on base. So that's one guy that might be someone that, that you might be like, you know what? I need a punch of Judy hitter. Let me go get Adam Frazier. Cause I know he won't hurt my on base percentage or my batting average. Okay. So you two, what, what names are you thinking of here that showed up? Austin, wanna, you go. I want to know if mine and, and Sean's are the same. Was yours Miles Straw? No, mine was not Miles Straw. Oh. I know, I, uh, partially because I, we kind of talked about him earlier, but Miles Straw is one guy who I think is going to – he is a fantasy league winner uh, for 2022. But the yeah. one I was looking at, if Felipe would scroll a little bit down, a little bit down. Oh, come it was, on. It was, it was Bruhan, wasn't it? It's Vidal Bruhan. Oh, okay. Because he, while he had no barrels – I uh, no, no, he had two. He had two barrels. No, he had zero. Okay, r- wrong line. He had zero. He is going to uh, hit for power. I, I, I just know he is. Not a lot of power, but some power. He will probably bring out like a Jose Reyes type season where he hits 15, 17 home runs, but steals 30, 40 bases. He, he has that kind of profile. Uh, he, he is the one that doesn't fit in on that list. Well, we'll see if that comes true. Uh, 
for next year. You thought year. he was going to pick Nicky Lopez, huh, Felipe? Got him. But listen, really quick, another guy that we talk about a lot who has the high, I mean, you've seen it right there, the, the highest expected weighted on base average, which is the all-encompassing uh, uh, average for a hitter, which which puts linear weights on on, on outcomes. Well, you get more, uh, you got a boost from hitting doubles and triples and home runs as opposed to just taking walks and singles. Luis Arias, three thirty six. Uh, it's a guy who I one of the few punch and Judy hitters that I actually would prefer and covet. Uh, doesn't hit for a lot of power, doesn't hit for a lot of barrels, but he does is able to do m- hit the ball with more authority than some of his peers. Uh, on the bottom of this list hits for a high ba- expected batting average of 294 expected on base of 358 which is just music to my ears and a respectable 336 weighted on base average uh yeah that's it's, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a punch and judy hitter be that kind of punch and judy hitter a very productive <laughs> uh with some pop to go along with a real pop and not potential pop you know guys that you know we talk we hear about who oh man you should have seen in the minors he can hit the ball with authority and then you gotta get to the majors and they get like two barrels a year or something. Uh, <clears throat> magical. Okay, oh, so. <laughs> I knew I knew he was going to say that. I knew he was going to say it. 2022. We Nick, but- two, 20- two things that I noticed. First of all, at the bottom of the list is my guy, David Fletcher. There you, you know, go. You know, our- <laughs> He's going to be stuck there. He's you the know octopus. What? We He's- angels are at the bottom, but we're the best at being at the bottom. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed, I don't know if this is a, a fluke or anything, but if you look at Rymel Tapia, Ooh, yeah, he's ranked, he's ranked 300th. I just want to make sure that this is, is his launch angle negative? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. What? Okay. And, and I, I, now that you've mentioned Tapia, I do want to give a shout out to, uh, his name's Jolly Olive. He does a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of cool videos on YouTube. He did a video on Rymel Tapia as the best worst player in the major leagues. And t- <laughs> talking, it, it, it's a really good video. Go check it out. Uh, he actually has a podcast with um, Jerry Blevins. He's part of the whole John Boy Media Network. And he hit Jolly Olive and Jerry Blevins, of course, the skinniest lefty to ever throw a baseball, have a podcast. It's a really good one, too. But his video on Rymel Tapia was really fun. And he was like, is he like the best worst player? And it's funny because he always hits for a good average. He, he gives you some stolen bases, but he just hits the ball into the ground. Mm-hmm. He borrows it. He borrows negative four. It's that's I feel like he's that's hitting, lower than Eric Hosmer. <laughs> I'm like, is he hitting it backwards? How the hell is he hitting <laughs> negative? Like his, yeah, his, I mean, that's his just, launch uh, angle is a foul ball. Like, I don't I don't know. That's what I'm talking about, man. This is what I'm talking about. These stack cast numbers. It does just it just doesn't, it's not just here's a spreadsheet, here's a bunch of numbers. Figure this shit out. It really shows you how how poorly skilled some of these guys are. Ramel Tapia, to me, is a poorly skilled player. Yes, 79.2% total uh, batted balls for plate appearances. So, I mean, that's part of it. You hit the ball that many times to the ground, you're going to make a lot of contact. You're going to put a lot of balls in play. But the results are only a 34% total basis uh, per plate appearances. Uh, awful isolated power, despite the fact that he plays in Colorado, right? He's a, he's a Rockies player, right, from what, yeah. I, from what I remember? Yes, okay. Rockies. All right. I mean, it, that's just that's what I mean. <clears throat> So the that is this player, he's negative 4.4 percent, uh, negative 4.4 degrees launch angle. Bad, that's how bad Rymel Tapia is. Go ahead, Sean. The the list of people for launch angle because I wanted to see how close he was to Eric Hosmer in terms of average launch angle, and it's a really interesting list one through like seven, or actually, I'll I'll go to eight. Rymel Tapia, negative 4.4, Nikki Lopez, 2.8, Eric Hosmer, 3.3, Tim (laughs) Anderson. 
at four point three. Starling Marte, 4.6, which scares the crap out of me. They just gave him four years. Josh Bell, Nathaniel Lowe, and DJ LeMahieu, all between 4.9 and 5. Isn't that that's a weird, like, average launch angle list? But uh, Juan Soto's at 5.8. He's the 12th lowest launch angle, and he's a freak. Uh, as a freak, Austin man. confirmed earlier, he is a freak. Yeah, uh, so I guess that's how it works. Let's go back. Uh, to the other the thing, the other go thing ahead. that I noticed when it came to barrels was um, when you had, when we, did it in barrels up there was Fran Mil Reyes and mm-hmm. his launch angle is 9.7. <laughs> so. There it is right here. Number 19th ranked in barrel rate. But I mean, look at this crap. I mean, look at this <sighs> Two sixty-eight <laughs> isolated power. I mean, it's all orange and red on, in terms of the production and power numbers. And you get to the exit velocity at 92.8 miles an hour. Uh, and then the launch angle is 9.7. I mean, he's, he's, I don't know, Sean, maybe you, you might have a different take on it, but he's always been this. Uh, he almost has the same launch angle as Chad Pinder. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Fred funny, if you, if you took Chad Pinder and put him next to Fred Mill Reyes, that would make a really fun photo. <laughs> yeah, they, hey, they, that's what it takes to compare Juan Soto. You need two players, uh, two uh, middling players to, to make a Juan Soto. I don't know. But uh, Fred Mill Reyes has always been this raw guy, this uh, uh, not toolsy, but just this ability, care, uh, attribute, attributes person. I mean, he look I mean, as as we like to stay around these parts. He looks the part. Yeah, he looks. It's like a Albert Bell. Like he's just so big, and when he hits these home runs, like there are some of them that are just absolute. You're like, that's what a home run's supposed to look like, yeah. and it's just finding the consistency for him. Which yeah. you know he's gone even when he was in San Diego. He had a really hot run, and then he got cold. And he got traded. He started off cold, then he got hot. It, it's just a very. I think it's more of a consistency thing for Fran Mill. I think it's it's a well. I mean, I I I know I talked about the attributes and and the physical tools because to me it's 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 a lack of skill. I mean, I I went ahead and uh, scrolled to the right to see uh, what his plate discipline numbers look like. It's mostly purple. I mean, he's a very aggressive swinger. He's still trying to learn the strike zone, I guess, if he if he's willing to do so uh, at all. But once you throw a pitch outside the strike zone, he can't help but swing at it. And I think that's part of the the concern here as to why the launch angle is so low, because like Sean says, it's consistency, but it's also a lack of skill and, and a lack of uh, wherewithal in terms of that strike zone. All right, we're getting close to that time where we, I just want to go again to the depths of the ocean, look for those octopuses. So maybe I've had it wrong this whole time. Maybe it, maybe Nick Magical and all those guys are not rodents. Maybe they're just like bottom-dwelling sea wayfarers. Sea creatures. Sea creatures, like the octopuses and those uh, those those fish with the lamps on top yeah so <laughs> so we talked about ramel tapio let's see the lamps on top oh my god yeah, that, those guys uh i want to see if there's anybody else that kind of us uh, uh besides lisa rice that kind of uh shows up here in looking for those red and orange hues another guy you just mentioned dj lemayhew but we all know who he is we all know what he's about uh with an 846 ops yuli guriel with a very low barrel rate also has proven that you can have a low barrel rate and still be productive. Okay, I see you. And Ooh, as I'll we see keep... this Escobar was still playing. Yeah, he, oh, he, yeah, he actually close. had a nice little run in like August after the Nationals pull, pull, pulled him up. It was insane. He had like a couple of forehead games. It was weird. Uh, really quick, I, I, every time I go through this list, Matt Verling's name shows up. I don't know who this guy is. I just found out he plays for the Phillies, but yeah, is he anything he, to look at? He's actually an interesting – I noticed his name, and I was going to mention him, and I forgot – multi-positional eligibility kind of you know that weird utility almost like a frank schwindel type hits line drop it's a interesting profile and if he can actually get 
playing time. If you look at his numbers in the minors, like this is a guy that definitely produced, but nobody really talked about because it was kind of his first year in the minors. Great. Uh, the next year and a half. So, so, and then in 2021, he started off this year in double a absolutely tore the cover off the ball, got promoted to triple a was meh. And then he got called up to the big leagues and then 34 games posted a 121 WRC plus solid, you know, average OBP did come with a 420 Babbitt, but when he's been at his best in the minors, he's posted higher Babbitt's. So he's an interesting guy, especially when you dig into his batted ball data with the average EV was like what 91 or something with Veerling. Yeah, it was pretty high. It was in very limited uh, playing time. Other yeah. names that show up on this uh, low barrel barrel rate list again: Brandon Nemo. Even though there's a lot of orange down here uh, in terms of the expected uh, stats and the and the ops is eight thirty six, which is respectable. But again, it's the county stats that we're as fantasy leaguers. That's the one that we crave. And then you get to Nixon Zell, which for a minute there I was confusing him with Jonathan <laughs> India, and I'm like, wait, I don't remember Jonathan India being this bad. But no, it's Nixon Zell, another uh, former. Uh, hyped up Reds prospect in very limited time. He showed that he can be high. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to make of this, uh, Sean. Uh, everything's about him in very limited playing time shows that he could be a somewhat productive major league baseball player. So uh, what's stopping Nick Senzel from being a highly productive baseball player? Nick Senzel, basically. And when you look at his numbers, he vastly underperformed his batted ball metrics uh 310 expected batting average only batted 252 uh his woba was 286 expected woba of 357 posted the lowest strikeout total of his career the highest walk percentage of his career um and he hit both fastballs and breaking balls consistently well uh it just staying healthy but in staying on the field granted He's only 26. That sprint speed this year was still elite. It was in the 96th percentile. He hit a lot of line drives, uh, hit some more ground balls, but with his speed, that might be a little better for him than just trying to pull every time and hit for power. But he's uh, – what's the the one on the Phillies? He's now DFA. They gave him the extension. They were both coming up at the same time. It was Senzel and uh, – For the, the Phillies? Yeah, for the – no, for the Phillies, they had that uh, player that they gave him the extension before he debuted, and him and Sinzel were like the same type. I can't remember his name now, but he's been DFA'd Mickey off the 40. Oh, no. no. I was say yeah. No, no, that's former first round. But Nick Senzel, anyway. I, this was a guy when I was looking at the list, he popped up, and I was like, I didn't realize his peripherals and metrics this year were that good. But in the end, it was still just 124 plate appearances. So yeah. the only thing standing in Nick Senzel's way is Nick Senzel being healthy. J.P. Crawford, is that what you're thinking about? No, or? I'm going to have to look it up. All right. Well, one more because uh, my wife's going to kill me if I keep on going. But uh, there's Wander Franco showing healthy, uh, um, productive production numbers and expected data. Let's see here. Now we get to the 5.0s. We just talked about that. I feel like we're talking about cars, but this is a 5.0. <laughs> and then we'll finish with that. So I guess how far does this go? Wow. Okay. Keep on going. Just a really quick story while you're looking at all of this. Uh, I was looking at, uh, we, this reminded me of Rymel um, from when we talked about Rymel Tapia. Um, I was listening to the Effectively Wild podcast, the Fangrass podcast that they have. Yeah. And um, they told a story that I thought was like, uh, it was pure like storybook like Rockies. Like it was just prototypical Rocky stuff. Um, so apparently the owner of the Rockies. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Man Monfort, uh, Dick Monfort. Yeah, Monfort, that's his name. So he um, apparently 
is the like lead negotiator or whatever for the owner side of these labor negotiations, which was mind boggling to me. Cause I'm like the worst run team in the MLB. And, 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 and he's the leader of the labor negotiator. I don't know. Anyway. So apparently he was uh, the, a recent labor negotiator. I don't, I don't think it was the first one uh, or it was the most recent one, but it was one of one of the recent ones. I guess he didn't show up to. Yeah. And so he were trying, go good. Go ahead. Speculating. People are speculating why, and they, and they think the, why he did not show up was because apparently he went on Twitter to start talking about the labor negotiations and screwed up and said, we can't afford this. We can't afford that. Oh and the biggest, the biggest no, no, in labor negotiations is you can't go in there saying we can't afford this because then the law, I think labor law states that you have to now open your books and show them that you can't afford it. So all of the, all of the people that are part of the negotiating team are like, just stay home. Just stay home, man. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, when they what met. A moron. Yeah, it, that was back like I think beginning of January when they met again for the first time, and it was a they were talking about the economics, and he's like the economics uh, chair for the owner side, so like he's one of the main like when it comes to the economic proposals and whatnot. He was supposed to be leading it, and then he lasted one day, and they were like he did, wasn't there the next. So yeah, that's why you would have Dick Manfort or Monfort, however you pronounce his name. Uh, that that's not the guy I would want leading anything. Was it Monfort and Sons? Yeah. <laughs> 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 but right, no, well, I I figured out who it was. Felipe it was Scott Kingery. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah him oh. and Senzel both like the same type vibe. But now yeah. Kingery's DFA'd and yeah. still getting paid a lot of money. Well, if anybody's out there interested in getting these spreadsheets, um. Pay me. Pay, pay <laughs> us. Go ahead. Uh, contribute something uh, into our PayPal account. Uh, I guess I'll go through me first. And uh, yeah, you, you too can have this uh, ginormous spreadsheet that Austin and I have been working on this offseason. And uh, you can have it to help you uh, determine who you should draft in your upcoming fantasy league. So I don't know about but, you, but uh, teachers don't get paid enough. So I would like money. But then I also <laughs> want to know that our work is worth some money. So yeah, pay us. <laughs> nice. And uh, that's a good place to stop. Um, I'm running out of time here as I can already hear my wife screaming at me. So uh, for I am Felipe, that's Austin. That's Sean. He's back. We will come back next week to talk some more. Uh, hopefully we can discuss some steamer. Pro- no, what was it? ATC projections. Oh yeah. Cohen's is out. Yep. So you, excited uh, you, about that. you were excited to see the StatCast uh, stuff. Wait until you see what these uh, these nerds over at Fangraphs have decided to uh, to project this season that may or may not happen. Uh, so, But until then, we're going to keep talking about it because, you know, we are the baseball podcast that doesn't sleep. We don't take any breaks. We just keep on yammering and yammering on. It's, uh, I, I, I'm, like, I'm lacking words here. But anyway, uh just after so, you say yammering on, you're like, I'm out of words. I don't know. What to yeah, yeah. I, I can tell He's I'm, yammered them all out. I'm, 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 a little, I'm getting a little exhausted. Yeah, COVID is no joke. Uh, mask up, get vaccinated, get boosted, and all that stuff. Uh, you're, uh, shut up, liberal. No, you shut up. Anyway, catch all our podcasts. Step back. The Audible. Dong City. Dong City will be back next Wednesday. The Step Back. Uh, 
I think they're on Mondays now. And then the Audible is wrapping up their season. Their very long season. They were going two a two weeks now. You heard about two Ooh. a day practices, two a weeks doing reviews and previews. And now they have a big upcoming Super Bowl show. I'm pretty sure about it. Uh, go check us out on Spotify, Apple, YouTube. Uh, I'm missing one. iTunes? No, iTunes is Apple. Um, I forgot what the other ones were. But uh, Stitcher, all, all the major platform, podcast platforms that are out there. And again, Austin, Sean, Felipe, we will see you next time. Adios. Thank you.